Hello. This is the recording of the fifth Twitter Spaces that I did with my friend V. This one was back in March, I believe. We're definitely getting a bit better with it, though we're still talking over each other a bit, which makes it hard to transcribe. This edition is on personal safety while travelling. And I must say, a couple of times within the first 15 minutes, we do talk about matters of a sexual and kink nature, where I may reveal a bit too much information about random hookups. But then, given the cover image associated with this episode anyway, you might already have gathered that. No barefoot backpackers were harmed in the making of this episode. We do talk about other aspects of personal safety while travelling too, though, including visiting war zones, making sure my mother knows I'm safe, battling the elements, and how different aspects of gender and sexual presentation change how safe I feel. Usual disclaimer, be aware this conversation took place over the phone and is recorded via my computer's internal audio card, so the quality won't be as great as my normal podcast episodes, although it's clearly better than the previous Spaces recording. Otherwise, I hope you enjoy it. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Travel Tales from Beyond the Brochure, a fortnightly series looking at unfamiliar places around the world and aspects of travelling you may never have thought of. I'm your host, the Barefoot Backpacker, a middle-aged Brit with a passion for offbeat travel, history, culture and the whys behind travel itself. So join with me as we venture Beyond the Brochure. Oh, for a minute there, I just could not switch my microphone off of mute. Too. <laughs> <laughs> I wondered why you were quiet. I was wondering if it was something that I'd done wrong. No, it was, I think, grease on my phone screen preventing me. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, at least it wasn't me this time. Excellent. <laughs> it, was, it was a more fixable technical problem there. <laughs> <laughs> awesome oh. sort. Anyway. Oh. Hello. Hello. I will start, as I always do, by telling everybody who we are, just in case new people are listening. Um, So, so, hello, I'm Victoria Pearson, but you can call me V, and I'm here with the Barefoot Backpacker, who is RTW Barefoot here on Twitter and on Pinterest, but Barefoot underscore Backpacker on Instagram. Um, Barefoot Backpacker (laughs) travels beyond the brochure to places that you've never heard of, or at least I've never heard of, so that you don't have to. They are of the belief that everywhere is interesting, although I have yet to convince them to visit Slough. In our last spaces, um, we mentioned that Barefoot often travels alone with just hand luggage at the last minute, all of which would certainly make me feel very vulnerable. So today we're talking all about how to keep yourself safe, or at least make your mother feel like you're safe while you're off on your travels. So you go to a lot of places that people like me haven't really heard of, is there anywhere yes. that you wouldn't go for safety reasons? I mean, right. So there's a there's a big caveat to mention here. It's huge. Everything I'm going to say in the next what, hour or so is with this caveat in mind. And that caveat is I am a tall, hairy, white, middle-class, middle-aged, male-presenting person. So everything I'm going to say is that in mind. 
I am not a role model and I am not you. So there may be places where I feel a bit awkward that you will feel perfectly safe. There may be places that I feel perfectly safe that you will go, ooh, that's not me. So that's my caveat. <clears throat> However, um, what I will say is I think people, people are a bit um, – <coughs> I think people think worse of me than I really do. Um, so certainly despite what people like my mother and many of my friends might think, my policy is not to visit active war zones. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, this is this is less because of an actual fear of harm and more because I have this feeling that I'd kind of, you know, be in the way. Um, and also because in places like that, there's a question of it's more difficult to do everyday activities like, you know, sleep or eat in a cafe, find somewhere that's open. Um, but what I will say is a big caveat as well, is that there's a big difference between a war zone and a trouble spot. Okay, so, tell us the difference. Yeah, well, I mean, Wikipedia, for example, when I was doing some research into this, was telling me there have been roughly, on average, 20 terrorist attacks in Kabul, the capital of Afghanistan, per year for the last few years. So on the one hand, this is a lot. On the other hand, if you average it out, that's less than two a month. Does that mean that Kabul is safe or dangerous place to visit? I mean, a lot of people have it on their absolutely no way list. But with those odds, uh, most people wouldn't like those odds and I wouldn't blame them. But it's, you know, it's not like you're in an active war zone where you're, you know, <coughs> people are bombing you every night and day from outside in order mm -hmm. to get you to surrender. Uh, and that's kind of the difference, I mean, between a war zone and a trouble spot. So I wouldn't go to a war zone, but trouble spots? Yeah. I mean, I haven't, but that's not to say that I wouldn't. Um, there's also, <clears throat> also a question of insurance, which is really boring. So most travel insurance relies on government travel advice. And I've noticed a certain tendency, and this is possibly related to the places that I go, there's a certain tendency for government travel advice to, shall we say, err on the side of caution to the extent that, you know, if a tourist gets shot, then they'll red list the entire country for six years. Uh, and they, they issue a blanket warning for the whole country, even if, you know, the country's the size of Egypt. Um, an example of this is like Somalia. Um, you know, Somalia is part of it or a war zone. But the Republic of Somaliland is kind of an independent state um this isn't a space on borders and recognition by the way that's a whole different bottle of roses but <laughs> somaliland is perfectly safe and the government of somaliland makes absolutely certain of it um so that you know they'll they'll give you well you have to pay for them but they they offer armed guards just to make sure that you know you're absolutely safe um <laughs> But because the UK government doesn't recognise Somaliland as an independent state and insists that the whole of Somalia is a dangerous and no-go zone. And this is true of quite a few other places, like, you know, Iraqi Kurdistan is a bit like that. And yet, So how do you get around the insurance problem for that then? Do you just transit without insurance or what yes. do you do? Yeah. Oh, no, I always travel with insurance, but um, I have to rely on the fact that nothing will go wrong. Mm. Um, I mean, the thing about, um, you know, insurance and red listed places is that, you know, there's statistically there's a lot of the world that's less safe. Yeah. But any concerns are just, you know, you'll be fine. And, you know, like parts of the USA can be quite 
I mean, I'm more likely to die in the USA than I am in somewhere like Tunisia yeah. or Egypt or Somalia, in fact. Yeah. But we don't, or at least the government and the insurance companies don't really see it that way. Um, you know, a bomb goes off in Tunisia and the whole country is red listed. A bomb goes off in France and the Foreign Office says, yeah, just be careful. I mean, I can't quite think of a reason why this inconsistency. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but there's one other point to make. It's safety isn't just about war and violence. It's also about personal safety. Yeah. Uh, and we'll come on to this later. Uh, there's nowhere that I wouldn't go for reasons of personal safety. But that doesn't necessarily mean I'm not going to take precautions. So if someone local suggested that I don't go to a place because they had concerns, I'd probably see that as being more important than what the government say. Yes. And, this, yeah. and this happened to me in Transnistria, which is a place. Uh, when my couchsurfing host there suggested not going to the nearby city of Odessa, because at the time there were riots in it. I'm sure with hindsight it would have been fine, but, you know, I took her concerns on board and flew directly to Kiev from Chisinau by air rather than take the overland train. Yeah. Uh, it's, also about, it's also about going to places at the right time. So in Lome, in Togo, there were signs on the beach saying, do not come here at night, it is dangerous. And yet by day, you know, it's a nice promenade with a huge expanse of soft sand and you know, fairly inviting, uh, inviting for most people, uh, an inviting sea. Now, I say that about most British cities as well, that yeah. they're perfectly safe in the day, but you maybe would want to avoid certain areas after dark. Yes, or in the case of Luton. <laughs> Luton's not that bad. <laughs> you know what I think of Luton. <laughs> I, think, I think we covered that one in the last space as well. <laughs> yes, we did. <laughs> and so branching off from that then, do you ever consider things like local crime levels when you're planning your travels? Uh, no. Um, now, I don't because my career is as a data analyst. And as such, you know, I see crime stats as being probability and being statistics. And I'm very fond of statistics. And just as an aside, I own a great book from the 1950s called How to Lie with Statistics. It's fabulous. But anyway, um, one of the important things about crime levels is, yeah, you've got to see understand what they're actually reporting and also what they're not reporting. And I had an argument with someone on Travel Twitter about this very point once, which led to the almost only occasion of me blocking someone. I very rarely block people on Twitter, but in any case, he's a misogynistic buffoon. But that's beside Don't the point. Don't name the person. <laughs> I'm not going to name the person, but anyone listening will know exactly who I'm talking about. Yes, I do. <laughs> um, but, but the point is, you look at the world's most dangerous countries with regards to crime statistics, and one of the stats used for this as a proxy is homicide rate or, you know, the likelihood you'll get murdered. The countries with the highest homicide rate in the world include El Salvador, Jamaica, Lesotho, Honduras, Belize and South Africa. So does that mean you shouldn't visit those countries? Absolutely not. I've been to at least two of them. I was going to say um, some of those are tourist hotspots, aren't they? They absolutely are. So what the homicide rate doesn't tell you is who, where and why people get murdered. Yeah. So for the most part, as a tourist, I am very unlikely to ever be in a situation where I'd be in danger, at least from that sort of crime, because most of that crime, most of that homicide is, you know, is either opportunistic or, you know, it's random in places that tourists probably won't go. Or, you know, it's a homicide that's a result of, shall we say, a thing. Mm -hmm. 
a business arrangement or a, <laughs> quote, trade deal, unquote. So <laughs> unless unless you're like stupid enough to go, why, yes, I'll carry this perfectly innocent looking bag halfway across Central America without looking inside it and give it to a man in sunglasses and a beige suit in an unregistered car in this dodgy suburb of San Pedro Sula and not ask any questions at all, <laughs> then for the most part, you'll be fine. I mean... So do you think that the perception <laughs> of crime is unfairly inflated in some places? Yes. Yeah, I mean, nowhere's immune from crime. So everywhere you've got the potential to be mugged, mm -hmm. robbed, raped or whatever, be that in Durban, San Salvador or, you know, Cardiff. Being yeah. abroad doesn't change those risks very much and you've got to travel with that in mind. But, you know, if you take the same precautions as you do at home, that's generally quite a valid thing to say. Uh, it does depend on the precautions you take at home. Um, mm. onto that. Um, but it's just as easy to let your guard down on holiday as it is to, you know, get acutely attuned to every single noise in an unfamiliar environment. It's, yeah. it's better to take too many precautions than not enough. But that's not, you know, that's not destination specific. Yes. And, 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 and the, there's a phrase the UK Foreign Office use, which is uh, most visits to this country are trouble free. But then the Foreign Office also say, Although there's no recent history of terrorism in South Georgia and the South Sandwich Islands, attacks can't be ruled out. And given that the population of South Georgia and the South Sandwich Islands is around 12 scientists and 7 million penguins, and pretty much, you know, the only way of getting there is by a long ship ride, one can only assume that the Foreign Office believe that at some point the penguins will eventually discover how to turn their own guano into explosives and gunpowder. That's the <laughs> only explanation I can think of for that statement. <laughs> okay well from guano to gonorrhea i suppose um you you mentioned <laughs> you you've sort of touched on it there um when you were talking about precautionary measures you can take um yeah. do you take more precautions if you are hooking up abroad than if you do at home i'm not just talking about things like sexually transmitted infections but obviously those as well but stuff about like not getting murdered do you check in with friends like you would at home do you have a different sort of system I mean, it's bold of you to assume I hook up. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I am fully aware that asexuals, aromantics and aromantic asexuals all can and do hook up. And, you know, their sexual and romantic orientations don't prevent or preclude me from meeting people while traveling or at any other time for a spot of, shall we say, groping for trouts in a peculiar river. And <laughs> for someone like me, as an arrow ace, those rivers are very peculiar, for sure. But I mean, it, it's not high on my agenda. I mean, it's not like I've ever formulated a route through a country or made a detour to a different town purely on the basis for the potential of a bonk. I mean, mm. not often. And, 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 and I'm not saying that I've arrived in a town in the middle of the USA somewhere like, let's take for a random example, Huntsville, Alabama, with nothing more than, you know, the vaguest comments from someone on a kink community forum website with the promise of bed and bondage and the hope that they'll meet me in this bar. Otherwise, I've got nowhere to sleep that night. That never happens, of course. <laughs> um, uh, I'm not a role model. <laughs> I'm not a role model. Um, you'd have thought I'd take precautions if such an event were to have happened, which, of course, it hasn't. Um, but, um, right, checking in. Problem is, right, and yeah, I'm not a role model, and this is another reason. So it's one thing to travel by train from your home to the next city along to, you know, again, to take another example um, that's never happened, uh, meet with a guy who wants you to suck him off while you're tied up, for instance, 
or even having come to your place. Precautions there are easy. You can text a friend their address, a pic of the house, a pic of them, uh, a rough expected timetable of when you're due to arrive and how long you expect it to take and arrange a kind of check-in so they know if you fail to message after a certain time, they can do the necessary and call the authorities. They might even be close enough by to cause a scene. Thing is, when you're traveling abroad, it's much harder to take those same precautions, you know, when you're 4,000 miles away and several time zones from home. So Mm -hmm. you kind of have to be a bit more on trust and a bit more aware of what's going on than you might be at home. And what I will say is the simplest solution is not to do any kind of hookup at all. But he had a huge set of stocks built into the spare bed that were perfect for tickle torture, and it was just too tempting. Charlie says, never go anywhere with men or ladies you don't know. <laughs> um, moving on, I think, from there. <laughs> How do you keep your mother from worrying herself into an early grave about your safety whilst you're away? By not telling her stories like that and hoping she's not... <laughs> Charlie says, always tell your mummy before you go off somewhere so she knows who you are with. (laughs) Maybe not in that particular case. (laughs) I mean, possibly not, but um... (laughs) my mother worries about me um, and she always has. Although that's not her biggest worry. Um, I've I've been quite a bad child in some ways. Um, I've stated in previous spaces that my mother still thinks it's about 1983. So she kind of has a very different view on what's safe in the world and what isn't and very different to what the my view of the world is. And I will admit that sometimes I play up to it. So for an example, I got a visa for Afghanistan. I got it at the embassy in Bishkek in Kyrgyzstan. And the first thing I did was I took a photograph of that visa in my passport and I sent that picture to my mother. And I, sent with, <laughs> and I sent it with absolutely no context whatsoever. And she you was, often travel alone as well. So yeah. she was probably there like, oh, he's, they're going alone to Afghanistan. Yes, she, she was not entirely impressed, shall we say. <laughs> um, but, but to be fair, um, and in seriousness, uh, I've alluded to this before, um, but The original and primary reason why I set up an online travel blog was to basically please my mother and to let her know I wasn't dead. Yeah, because you said before that you originally had it as a sort of live journal of your travels. Yes. Yeah, it was actually on live journal at one point. Um, I I, still is. Uh, I made sure that I updated it every day because um, so she could see how I was doing, basically. And so she knew I was all right. There was one instance. Ten years ago, I was in Southeast Asia backpacking, and I said in advance I'd probably be offline for a bit because I was going through areas that I didn't know I could. Well, I didn't know where I'd be overnighting for a start, and I couldn't guarantee a connection because I was kind of in the middle of nowhere in that sense. Mm. Um, when I came back online three days later, the symbolism there, uh, I had at least two friends who assumed I died because I'd been quiet online for so long. Well, I was going to say, it must be quite difficult to sort of let people know that you are safe. And how do people know to when to worry about you if you don't really plan your travels in advance? Uh, I think people are now used to me and people are now used to the sort of travels that I do. I asked a friend of mine this. I asked my friend Kira, who I've known for what, 15 years. And they, what they said to me is that 
because of my habits of going away at the last minute to random places with, you know, less than perfect reputations and for quite long periods of time, rather than three days, they wouldn't consider me dead or wouldn't start worrying about me unless I hadn't been in contact for about two and a half months. <laughs> I mean, after your great big long hike, though, that I'm sure we will come to in a future space and talk about it at length, but you did from the easternmost point to the westernmost point of the, not the UK, of Great Britain. Great Britain. Yeah. Yes. Um, that must but have I'm... taken quite a long time. And I'm presuming that you had Wi-Fi and things for some of it, but you wouldn't have had for all of it, would you? Uh, well, no, but obviously because it was in Great Britain, I had mobile phone coverage mm. um, for most of the journey. The only, it was, you know, up mountains, it got a bit, I got, it got a bit dodgy, but most of the time I was, I was fine and in contact. Um, yeah. it's, it's more when I'm abroad because I don't have necessarily have roaming. So I'm more inclined to only get online through Wi-Fi and things like that. Um, so, yeah, but two, two and a half months, I think is, is, uh, I don't know whether to feel gratified or upset about that because it's kind of, it, it's very much on brand. It's very much me, but equally it's like I could just disappear and they would never even think of, they would just assume I was traveling somewhere. They would just assume I was, Oh, he's, you know, they're probably, um, probably tied to a bed in Alabama or something. <laughs> um, I mean, not entirely off brand. <laughs> well, quite. Um, <laughs> I mean, my mother though, I'm a, Kira thinks this as well, and my friend Sarah has openly stated that she is actually surprised that I haven't been arrested, deported, or shot yet, uh, especially with my um, habits of, I don't like authority, and they're actually surprised I've managed to cross some of the borders that I've done because of my um, short-tempered nature uh, and my unwillingness to follow instructions. Um, but my mother specifically has also stated that um, I mean, she had a phase of calling me Che Guevara because she expected to see me on the news at some point on my travels, you know, leading a revolution in some small African country. There's no time. <laughs> yeah. The thing is, I don't wish to der derogate my mother here, but uh, those weren't her exact words. Um, but as I say, she lives in 1983. <laughs> uh, quite. Yeah. Well, um I don't know how to seg from that into what I was going to ask you next. So I will do an abrupt change of gears there, I'm afraid. Um, okay. Yes, 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 yes. Um, so currency confusion can make people feel quite vulnerable, can do for me. Um, how do you reduce your risks in that area so that you are not stuck somewhere trying to work out how to convert currency in your head and things like that? I mean, I... I personally memorise the exchange rates. Uh, I mean, that's not actually that true. That is not something I could do. <laughs> yeah, it's not something I can do anymore either. Um, I used to be really good at mental arithmetic. So, for example, when I was checking um, currency rates a few days ago, there were 68.19 Philippine pesos to the pound. I don't want to do that calculation in my head. Yeah. So, I, so I just assume that it's 70 and just go, it's about right. I mean, seven's mm. not particularly easy number either, but it's better than 68.19. Yeah. Um, the exchange rate that I checked for the Indian rupee, by the way, was 99.93 to the pound. That's, you know, infinitely easier to calculate. Mm. 
Um, but I mean, I'm I'm not bad with maths. I'm obviously I'm a data analyst, so I, I'm kind of used to it. Although I don't carry a spreadsheet with me around all the time because that would be weird. Um, I know that other people have a lot more trouble with maths and aren't numerically literate, particularly. And mm. this calculator. Why are you staring at me? <laughs> I'm not glaring at you. I've got my eyes open. Um, <laughs> Dyscalculia um, is a, a, a common feature amongst neurodiverse people as well. And, mm. you know, there, you can get exchange rate apps on your phone, for instance, like that. Or you can just even use, you know, the calculator app on your phone. But it yeah. does involve, the problem with that is that it does involve whipping your phone out in a market. That mm. might not be ideal from a safety or crime point of view. Yeah. Um, this is but where, then again, neither is holding all of your cash in your hand and trying to work out how much you've got to give the person. <laughs> Well, no, but some countries that you don't have an option. Um, mm. So, you know, in I have a problem with this because obviously social anxiety is a thing. Um, mm. but one, one thing that I think you should really do is ensure that you learn to say how what the numbers are in the local language. And I, it's not just the, like the numbers from like naught to 20 or have you. It's also, you know, the weird slang terms that people use like quid and book and things like that. Mm. Then you kind of, and this you can do this either you can try and do this in advance online because most most uh, like Wikipedia will have a lot of information about a lot of currencies, but learn the colour and the size of every coin and every note that you come across, so that mm. way you can see at a glance what someone's giving you in change, and also more importantly what you're giving them. So one of the problems I have with American currency is it all looks the same because it's all the same size and it's all the same colour. So mm. if you're not concentrating, it'd be very easy to give a $10 note instead of a $1 note and mm. then get change for a $1 note and not realise it. Uh, the other thing is to learn the progression of the coin sizes, because not every currency works from smallest coin is least value coin to largest coin is most value coin. Um, the British currency, for instance, is yeah. a bit like that. The British two pence coin is not a small coin. The British five pence coin is. Yes. And a 20 um, pence coin is smaller than a two pence coin. It is. But the thing about the 20 pence coin is that it's a shape. So it's mm. it's a different shape. So yeah. it's more recognisable in that sense. Um, also, get a feel for how much things cost. So don't rush into the first the restaurant you see to buy something. Uh, it might be, you, you know, you're on holiday in a relatively more expensive destination than you're used to. Uh, although you can probably check that before you go, and therefore everything will be more expensive. But equally, it might just be that that particular restaurant or that particular shop has inflated touristy prices, or in some places, and think of plenty of places in the UK where this applies, thinks it's you know more pretentious than it is and pushes the price up for no apparent reason. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing to do, again, only if social anxiety lets you, or maybe you should travel with an extrovert. Um, don't be afraid to ask people questions like, how much does it cost to get to this place? Or, you know, on average, how much is a beer? Yeah. Some places you can check this beforehand. but I was going to say, is that something that you would normally look up online before you go as well? Like average costs for a beer and a bed for the night and things like that? It's something I would think of looking up and then never do. Uh, one of the problems is, of course, that it's, it's sometimes quite hard to look it up because averages are just averages. Um, yeah. And there's two issues. One is that, I mean, even if I look at the UK, 
London is more expensive than Glasgow, for instance. Mm. Glasgow is more expensive. Five pound than... for a can of pop in London towns. Then five pound for a can of pop. <laughs> I walked for miles looking for free water so I didn't have to pay £5 for a can of pop. It was such a hot day as well. I'm too stubborn and nearly died. Yeah, that's not good. Not good at all. Don't do that. Water, <laughs> water fountains are a good thing and we should have more of them. Yeah, um, there actually is one near Westminster. We found it in the end. I go to Paris and they're in every, like, like the corner of every junction of every park. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it's difficult to find because obviously, as I say, Gla London's more expensive than Glasgow. Glasgow is more expensive than, say, Newcastle upon Tyne. So if you only have an average for a country, you've got to bear in mind where you are in that country. And the other problem is sometimes even the simplest things are really hard to find. So I've had very difficulty trying to find something as simple as how much it costs to catch a bus in Britain. Mm. Yeah, because that's a massive variables as well, isn't it? It is, because it depends on where you are, because some places have fixed fixed fare buses and some don't. Yeah. Uh, and places like Glasgow tell you how much the minimum bus fare is, but not how much it is to get from this stop to this stop. So the only way to find that out is to actually take the journey quite often. Oh, which if, sounds like it would make it is, difficult to budget if you were on a tight budget on your travels. Yes, which is one of the reasons why I walk a lot in foreign places. Yeah. Um, um, but if, if you're walking a lot, though, um, that must mean that you're exposing yourself to the elements quite a lot. Like, how do you keep yourself safe from extreme temperatures, humidity, dehydration, all that sort of thing when you're travelling? By not going out in them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, okay, so... For instance, I mean, you mentioned earlier about my hike across Great Britain. Uh, yeah. I, didn't do that. I didn't do that alone. I did that with my hiking buddy, Becky. Which must have been a challenge in itself for you because you're very much a lone traveller. I don't know who it was worse for, me or her. It's amazing how many times we've spoken since. <laughs> but anyway. I mean, um, you're still friends, so it's fine. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Now, she's very much into hiking. She's very much into wild camping. She's very much into outdoorsy stuff. And earlier this month, she completed another hike along the Pennine Way, the, you know, the, the long-distance footpath going up the centre of England, which is quite mountainous. We did this in June when we did it. Yeah. She's done it in early March. And freezing. Quite. Um, yes. <laughs> she actually delayed her start for a week because she was going to set off and then and one of those named storms hits and she decided not to. Um, but even then... That's probably quite a good example of being, uh, of role modelling for how to keep yourself safe on these things. <laughs> it's okay to cancel with this inclement weather. <laughs> you say that, but before we did our hike across Great Britain, we did a training hike in the Peak District and it was during a named storm and I got cold. <laughs> um, I was did, you have shoes on? Hmm? did you have shoes on in the named storm i had boots on oh wow it must have been really cold um it was about 45 mile an hour gusts and snow well not much snow but there was like a, a light coating of snow um mm -hmm. it was not pleasant not pleasant conditions to hike in except for her who was just merrily going on her way because that's what she does and she doesn't, she doesn't let weather affect her but yeah she's just um 
completed the Pennine Way. And on her hike, she had gale force winds, she had snow, she had rain, she had frost. She had an instance where she was wild camping and didn't know whether her tent would stay up for the whole night. Um, I wouldn't do that because yeah. I'm a fellow with a hiker. Um, <laughs> that said, next month, one of my other Twitter friends is taking me hiking around one of the islands just off the coast of Scotland. And, you know, hiking in Scotland in April is a... <laughs> it could go one of two ways, put it like that. Yeah, the weather can turn quite quickly as well, yeah. especially yeah. in the mountains. Well, at least there's going to be no midges, that's all I can say. Um, <laughs> what I will say is, um, you know that quote, there's no such thing as bad weather, just bad clothing? Yeah. Bollocks. <laughs> let, let, for an example and this is an extreme example i will stress i suppose you're going to be you know exploring siberia in winter because you know it's siberia and you're supposed to see it in winter because it's full of snow and it's really pretty um it's going to be it's going to be minus 40 Oof. it doesn't matter what clothes you have Minus 40 is minus 40. It's bloody cold. That's what it is. <laughs> if you don't know how to keep yourself safe from the elements in minus 40, you kind of probably shouldn't be there in the first place, you know? Definitely sucks weather. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I've walked barefoot in snow, but not in minus 40. Yeah, I'm sorry for making you do that, by the way. <laughs> it's not the first time I've done it. <laughs> Oh, continue to talk about the elements. Yes. Um, it, it, it's a couple of things. It's, I mean, planning beforehand. You Like knowing what the average weather conditions and the climate is like at the time you're going to places. It's it's temperature, yeah. but also altitude, because obviously the further up you go, the colder it gets. And obviously the opposite is true. Although you don't get many places that are that low, it's, it's notable that the hottest places in the world, generally the lowest places in the world. Hmm, um, so yeah, I mean, places like the, the Death Valley is quite low. The Danakil Depression in Ethiopia is, I think, the lowest point in the world. And that's basically a desert. Um, yeah. So pack clothing to that end, um, mm. you know. And, and also remember that, especially in places like deserts, the um, changes in temperature. So, you know, it might be really hot and sunny and bright and burning in this daytime and then because there's no cloud cover it gets really really cold in the evening mm. um so you've got to pack for both conditions i say cold it's relatively speaking it's cold it's not freezing yeah. freezing but obviously if you've been used to hiking in at like sort of 30 degrees celsius and it suddenly especially drops 10, yeah especially if you've got that. clothes that are all moist from sweating from hiking all day in the hot sun as well yes 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 and also um, research the day before. So check what the weather's like the day before so that when you go out, you're fully prepared for the conditions as and when they happen. But obviously it helps if you take the clothing in the first place. Mm -hmm. um, but what I will say, important point, is that unless you're going to be hiking in the mountains or what have you, most people won't go to places where there are very strong climactic issues. Yeah. Um, so, you know. Is there a particular um, app or website that you use to check the weather? Do you look at local weather stations and things like that? Or do you like, use like the Met Office for your weather thing? I generally use the Met Office for most things because it's mostly okay. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I know that there are certainly in the UK more specific sites that cater for, you know, mountain conditions and uh, coastal mm-hmm. conditions and things like that um, that hikers will use. But I'm usually in the company of other hikers, so I trust them that they know what they're doing. Because I certainly don't. Um. <laughs> is, that, is that why you tend to not do that aspect on your own? Is because you feel safer with people that are more experienced with dramatic weather and things like that? No, I don't. I don't generally do that sort of thing on my own because I have no sense of direction. I can read maps. I'm very good at reading maps, but I have no sense of. And I have. I'm dyspraxic. I have no sense of three dimensional space. And mm. there's always that possibility that I could fall down a cliff because I'll go, oh, look at that over there. Oh, wee, splat. And um, then play there for two and a half months. <laughs> basically, yeah, that's exactly. I mean, there, there is a um, I've got some travel Twitter friends who are basically running a book on how I will die. Um, oh, nice. <laughs> um, tripping over a stone and falling off a cliff because I've been distracted by some shiny thing is actually at number one on their list. <laughs> um, <laughs> they are the person that's put their money on you getting murdered. That's all I'll say. <laughs> um, I mean, the second highest is that I'm going to, you know, break my foot and not be able to move and die of exposure. That's the second on the list. But uh, presumably, you do oh, have um, things in place to prevent that from happening, like making sure you've always got a fully charged phone with you when you're going somewhere that you might fall and break an ankle and die of exposure. Yes. Yeah. And to be fair, when I go hiking and things like that, I I mean, I, I have most things turned off on my phone anyway. So I don't the only thing I get notifications for is WhatsApp. Mm. Um, and that's just to preserve the battery. Uh, I've always done that. Um, but when I'm going hiking, I will tend to do things like turn off my network connection. Yeah. So that preserves the battery more so that all I need to do is just turn on the network connection. And, and I've still got a decent sized battery, hopefully. Um, yeah, that's a good tip. Yeah, and obviously power saving mode and all that sort of thing is yeah, a yeah. thing. In some yeah, phone. I mean that's what I do anyway. I so there's three power saving modes on my phone. There's like really strict. There's medium and there's normal. And I permanently have mine on medium. Um, and and do things like that. So I try and get it. Try and make my phone set up in such a way so that it's not spamming the network in. As yeah, little as possible, it's spamming the network anyway. So it's it's not pulling in notifications from apps all the time. It's not checking for anything. I don't have, I do have GPS on when I'm hiking, but that's only because I use the OS map app and the mm-hmm. GPS tells me exactly where I am rather than just guessing. Um, so that drains the battery a bit. But then I counteract that by you know not having anything else on pretty much. Mm-hmm. So. It's not failed me yet. I also carry a uh, power bank with me. Um, I don't have to use it necessarily that often or at least as often as other people do. But I do carry it for when I'm away for more than about a day or two days um, Mm. so that I know that I've got that. One thing I did find because I I did a before my hike across Great Britain, I did a I did a hike in the Peak District to test things out, which was which went exactly as you'd expect. And um, one of the things that I found is that in really cold weather, my um, power bank drains quicker than it should do. Yeah. Electronics. I mean, it's all all lithium batteries, you know. Yeah. um, Fortunately, I knew the way back from where I'd wild camped, but still, Mm. that was uh, 
that would be a bit hairy for a little while there. It was an interesting night, put it like that. I was never worried, but it was an interesting night. Yeah. Um. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, dear, dear, dear. Uh, Oh, yeah. Um. So, uh, is there anything else that you carry with you that is purely for safety purposes, apart from your power bank and your already charged phone? Do you carry things like, I don't know, space blankets and stuff like that, or are you quite free and easy with your long hikes? I make sure I always have dry clothing. Because mm. one of the problems that certainly we have in the UK is it's a bit damp in this country. Yes. Um, and the one thing that you don't want to be is stuck in cold or wet clothing all evening. The worst part of this, it's not just the rain, because the rain, especially when you're hiking, rain is awkward because you've got nowhere to dry your clothes. Um but the worst bit is humidity. Yeah. Um, humidity is, it's not, it, it's, it's possibly the least pleasant thing to hike in, in a way, because you can't, you, you never really feel comfortable. Because if it's, obviously in hot weather, you get hot humidity as well. It just makes you sweat forever. But mm. humidity is bad in cold weather as well. Um, there's a lovely word usually used for cellars and dungeons. Not that I know anything about either of them. Um, the word is dank. Yeah. Dank is a lovely word. It's that chilly but quite damp feeling that you get in like underground places. You, you, you have it in caves. You even have it in like the London Underground and places like that where you can just you breathe in and you can feel the moisture in the breath, the cold moisture. Um, but it's basically Britain in October and November. Yeah. Um, you kind of you go hiking and then you realise you're. You can't take your jacket off because you'll be too cold. But if you keep it on, you get really clammy and uncomfortable because the, the, the damp just gets inside you. Yeah, and, and it's not quite rain, but it's not thick enough to be mist or fog, but it just yeah. soaks you right through and makes you uncomfortable. Yes. The, the best way I've found to keep me safe in that environment is just to stay in the pub and not go out. <laughs> I mean, that's the, that is how I would get around it too, to be fair. Because yeah. normally in a place where it's dank and damp a lot of the time, you'll also find a pub with a fire, and that's what you need, isn't it? The nice thing about hiking, well, we'll do a space about hiking at some point, but one of the nice things about hiking in Britain is um, there's a lot of pubs. Yeah, it's and, essentially a posh pub crawl, isn't it, really? Well, I mean, I had friends that said my hike across Great Britain was basically the longest pub crawl in the world. <laughs> we always seem to be in a pub. I mean, we were always in a pub because it was a place to charge things up and just to rest after a nine. Yeah, months. use toilets and things yeah. like that as well. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> convenient. Um, but yeah, pubs are anything like that is a useful place. To, if you can rest, if you can stop, then do it. I think that that's the in in mm -hmm. in dodgy conditions. Yeah, because um, I think that as well, you've discovered in the past that if you've pushed on through that tiredness, you haven't really enjoyed the hike that you've been doing anyway. Yes, absolutely. And if you're going to do something as silly as hiking across Great Britain, you kind of need to enjoy it. Yeah, um, but we will come to that in a future space yeah, that we'll yeah. do, especially about your hike yeah. across Great Britain in greater detail, I think. Yes, there's um, one of the, you asked you asked about is there anything else that I take? There is one other thing that I take, and it's probably something that you wouldn't think of, especially okay. in Britain. Uh, sunglasses. Oh yeah. Now the thing about sunglasses is that obviously they protect your eyes when the sun is bright in the sky and it's a really sunny day. Sunglasses are really really useful in winter 
especially in the UK, because on a really sunny day this far north, the sun is quite low in the sky. Yeah. It, it, it is actually, there are times when I've been, when I used to live in Nottinghamshire and walk to work, it was actually dangerous for me to walk on the road because I could not see because the sun was directly in my eyesight. So I imagine mm. that it, it was directly in the people, in the you know driver's eyesight as well on the road next to me. Yeah. Um, so that you'd have to be careful of, especially on the like windy little country roads in the UK. Yeah. Yes, and and I used to walk to work down one. Mm. Until I realised it was really dangerous, so I went across the um, field instead, um, yeah. which was dangerous for other reasons. Well, two reasons: one, cows, uh, and two, very steep, muddy hill. Mm. Cows are quite dangerous. I don't know if you said that jokingly, but apparently, quite a lot of people get killed by cows. Yeah, I, uh, when we talk about hiking, because uh, I I, we've got a space at some point coming up about outdoors in general. I will rant about cows. Uh, I will. Uh, I, cows are one of the few animals I am scared of. And and it um, doesn't even matter if you tell them you're vegetarian. They don't care. <laughs> nope, absolutely. Um, the mm. other thing about sunglasses is snow. There's a reason why skiers wear visors. Yeah. Because when you've got a really bright day and the sun is really low in the sky, the sun shines off the snow and the ice and it just it, it's a lot more bright. It is a lot more painful. And the other thing it does is give you sunburn. And mm. the weirdest place I've ever had sunburn was in a coach in late December going back from Poland through Germany back to that is not somewhere that I would want to apply sunscreen, and I am a very sunscreen-applying kind of person. It was about minus 20. Mm -hmm. you, wouldn't, you wouldn't expect to need sunscreen in minus 20 in Poland. No. But because... Oh, thinking about it, the sun must glare mm. from the snow. Yes, it does, absolutely. And the sun, because the sun's quite low, and because it's glaring from the snow, and because everything is really bright, and because I was sitting in a coach... So it was a really bright bit of mm. sunlight shining off some very reflective snow directly through a window. Yeah. So it was not it, it was a really weird place to get sunburn, but equally it was a perfectly logical place to get sunburn. So, yes, take sunscreen, take yeah. sunglasses, even in winter, because you never know. I'm going to mm. ask you um, questions about your gender presentation now. Okay. Um, but first I'm going to say for your listeners that the Barefoot Backpacker is a non-binary, agender sort of flavour human being um, and they look varies between being fairly masculine presenting and fairly feminine presenting depending on their mood, the circumstances, the location and the company that they're in um, and I don't think that you've done a great deal of travel in your more feminine sort of look yet Correct yeah, because you, you kind of started experimenting more with that during lockdown, didn't you? Um, uh, so I was wondering if your gender presentation has ever made you feel unsafe while you were traveling or whether um, there's ever been times when your gender presentation has made you feel safer than it might otherwise have. Yeah, this is this is an interesting one, isn't it? Because um, I... I feel like you, your your answer might be different in a couple of years time so yes, we might well, it. well <laughs> potentially still working on that who knows mm. um but yes i mean i if people clock me walking down the street they will assume that i'm male 
And obviously that has a very different um, outcome than if they clock that I'm female. Yes. And I'm fully aware of this. And that does affect my answer at this point. Mm. Um, so, however, that's not the whole story. Because, I mean, for years, and I mean years, there have been parts of the way that I present that do and have made people slightly more questioning about my appearance. Um, yes. There is one really blindingly obvious example, and that's the fact that I usually have really sparkly, bright painted toenails. Yes, which people can see because you haven't got shoes on. Yes. So, I, I mean, I've never felt unsafe having them and showing them off, but I am equally aware. I mean, I don't notice most of the time because I have the I have the observational skills of, you know, a squirrel high on ecstasy. But... <laughs> Um, I know that it causes conversations and double takes. So, for example, I, I remember I was in Chile. I was waiting for a walking tour and three people walked past. They looked down at my toenails. They burst into laughter and then they walked on. <laughs> I felt safe, just very confused. <laughs> and, and and then there was uh, a chap in Benin in West Africa who was acting as a, a guide in one of the, the towns. It was um, Wida in Benin, which is a big slave trade town. And he asked me if my having painted toenails meant that I was gay, which is an interesting question. Um, mm. And a perfectly understandable question in certain cultures. But uh, what I have... Do you feel is, hostility behind that question? Like, would you have been concerned to have said yes? I didn't feel hostility, but I do know um, that there is an amount of hostility in certain parts of West Africa about... Yeah. Um, queer culture and i follow quite about three or four people in ghana and i know that there's issues at the moment in ghana specifically around uh legislation against the queer rainbow culture yeah so, um but I, I didn't feel no i i didn't feel um threatened by the question i thought it was a perfectly logical question in a sense in a cultural sense because it isn't yeah. something that the average western white man has um but what i have is what well, what i made sure of that on that particular journey uh on my because i carry a camera with me uh like a proper it's it's a it's a it's a high-end compact camera so it's not a, a dslr but it is a, a fairly decent camera and mm. I made sure before I left, the first and oldest photograph on that camera was a female friend of mine. So what that meant was I could just easily go back, go into the, um, you know, the memory of the camera, press one button to go back one space. And that has the oldest picture, which is a picture of her. So I could say, mm. that's my girlfriend. Um, yeah. And this this opens up a number of questions about, solo traveler like you know why isn't she traveling with you and do you have a family which we'll come on to in another space because i think this is a really yeah. important topic to discuss but um, probably um, our next space actually yeah i mean it's really it's really annoying to repeat for the millionth time but you mm. know cultural i would call it cultural accidental passive aphobia and i think that's yeah. better than active aggressive gender phobia and queer phobia um so i i have a mitigation for it um but what i will also say is that i I don't like causing a scene. I don't like being the centre of attention, surprisingly. So I'm conscious of not pushing stuff too much. Uh, it does depend on where I am. So 
you know, one of my current um, sartorial choices is dungarees. And they're gender neutral and quite funky. But I'm more likely to wear they're trousers. Very cute too. Pardon? What? I said they're very cute too. They, uh, they make me look like a 1980s TV presenter. But, they do. <laughs> but the thing is, like my old hometown of Kirkby and Ashfield, I'm more likely to wear trousers and dungarees there just because I, well, I know that if I live somewhere small, people are like to pick up on who I am and where I live, etc because I'll be seen a lot and it's not a very big place. But also yeah. I kind of feel more comfortable being myself in places with a more diverse population and also places that I'm not going to be for that long. So, you know, I'll stand out in Kirkby and Ashfield. People probably still talk about me in that place. But I'm, 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 I'm not the most culturally challenging person most people in London will have seen on that journey, never mind that day. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I'm traveling, I'm, I, as I say, I'm conscious of the fact we'll only be in that place for a couple of days. So by the time people have seen me more than once, they'll never see me again. Yeah. What, what I do do sometimes, though, is I check Instagram or Twitter to see if people have, after the event, noticed me. I've never yet found myself referenced. So I think just people just don't notice unless yeah. they're, you know, they're primed. Everybody's too busy it. looking at their phones. No one yeah. cares. And it's something <laughs> a friend of mine said. Um I've got a friend in Sheffield who um, lives a very barefoot lifestyle. And I did ask her if people like mentioned it to her or, or, or complained about it or, or pointed it out. And she said that no one ever notices because everyone's just too, too in their own heads. They're either mm -hmm. on their, they're either always on their phone or they're just always thinking. So they're always, they're not paying attention to what goes on around them. And I mean, I, honest, I, that's how I got over my fear of running in public was yeah. um, when I got home from going to the shops, I thought to myself, right, what were the last five people you saw wearing? And obviously I couldn't answer that because we don't notice each other that much. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and yeah. But yeah, that made me realise that no one cares. <laughs> no one's paying attention to me, puffing along. I, mean, I don't pay attention to anything anyway, but that's just me. Oh, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, dear, 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 dear. Uh, so yeah, um, uh, yeah. Um, so as far as gender presentation goes, so far so good. So far so good. Um, we'll let you know is the answer. I was going to say one thing. I will say is that um, I I'm not. <sighs> I don't put myself in a. I I also don't put myself in a position where I'm going to be noticed. Mm -hmm. um, so one thing, one important point to note is that because I'm, I'm often clocked as male, and specifically tall, middle-aged, and white, um, people don't notice me as much, and I yeah. walk quickly. So you remember that you know much crime, for instance, we talked about crime earlier. So much mm. crime, especially high high area crime, is opportunistic. Regardless of what I'm wearing, I I. I kind of I'm quite imposing in a way because I'm 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 six foot three or about one meter ninety. So there's a lot of me. And yeah. I walk quite quick. So I'm less perceived as an easy target. So mm. for opportunistic crime and opportunistic observation, by the time people notice me, I've already gone. Yeah. Um, so people just go, no, I'm not going to, you know, I, oh, we'll 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 try and we'll try and attack or clock someone else. And this it's it's not just crime, but it's also, you know, sort of anything regarding gender presentation and sexual orientation presentation, it's like, by the time people notice, I've gone. Yeah. Um, I do have to scurry to keep up with you if we're walking together. 
Yeah, yeah. I walk slightly slower when I'm barefoot. <laughs> um, um, so in general, then, just on massively general terms, not just about your gender presentation, <laughs> but I'm talking about the fear of crime, I'm talking about all those sorts of things that we've discussed today. Do you worry much about your safety when you're travelling? Uh, I'm going to say no. And um, part of it is because I'm I'm kind of really boring. Um, so you know, for instance, I, I I avoid crowds. I'm an introvert. I don't go partying in clubs. I don't generally carry large amounts of cash with me and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I the way I dress is, I mean, it, it's quirky, but it, it's often quite conservative in a way. Yeah. Um, it, you, it, you don't show off lots and lots of your skin in the way that you dress and things like that. Not yet. Um, I I kind of passively underplay myself in a way. So I actively try and make myself less of a target anyway. Um, I don't make myself attractive to crime. I don't make myself attractive to people who want to see me ill, I guess, in that Mm. respect. Um, And I I kind of do and act in ways that people aren't going to um, assault me for. Assault is probably... I would say assault is probably of too harsh a word, but it's probably accurate as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, things like um, I will, I carry paper maps rather than use maps on my phone. For yeah, because nobody's going to take a paper map out of your hand, but someone could take your phone out of your hand quite easily. Yes. 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 I mean, there's, there's practical reasons as well, because you can write on them. They don't have a battery life and you can see them in the sunshine. Yes. But also, I mean, yeah, exactly. Whipping out your map at a busy intersection makes you look like a tourist. Um, mm. But I, what I will also do is I'll memorise the route. I'll memorise the the map, essentially, and I'll only consult it as a last resort. And because yeah. I walk quite quick, it basically appears to the outside world that I know where I'm going and I know what I'm doing. Yeah, you do move with purpose, don't you? Yes. Even if you're yes. not sure where you're going. <laughs> and And this might be a weird thing to say, but also because I'm – because of things like ADHD – that actually helps because I'm not paying attention. So mm. I don't react to people calling at me from the side of the pavements. I don't pay attention to people passing by. I never make eye contact. I don't mm. respond to what people say. I just don't stop walking. I just never give them the control of the situation. Uh, mm. and it, you know, It's hard for people to do confidence tricks when they can't attract your attention in the first place. Yeah. I, I just kind of, and also that normally does present quite masculine when you're traveling that is a bit safer for you to do. You can get away with just ignoring people that are calling to you from the side of the street and things like that in a way that yeah. women have been socially conditioned to placate that person. Yeah. I mean, I, it'll be int- I mean, I, I don't know how it's going to be if I presented as something other than a tall, hairy white man, but, mm. but I'd still be tall. And mm. I, don't, I don't genuinely know if that makes a difference um, and I'd still walk pretty quick as well. And I'd still obviously mm. have ADHD. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> and also, <laughs> the other thing that I do is that I don't tell people where I am. So, yeah. you know, you'll often have when I'm traveling, people will often say, well, where are you staying? So I'll be vague. I will yeah. go. You know, you'll say I, the city name rather than the hostel name. Well, it's things like, you know, in, in the city, I, I lived in Birmingham for ages in the UK. And there's a road there called Hagley Road. It's full of guest houses. So I would, if I were to travel there again, I would probably say, oh, I'm, I'm in one of the B&Bs on Hagley Road because there's literally like 20 of them. Yeah. Um, 
or I'd say things like, oh, I'm staying near the museum, that sort of thing. And, yeah. and, when I'm, and things like not posting your running maps that you do. I, d- I don't. Why do I people do that? Yeah, I don't understand why people do that because it's blatantly obvious where your start point is. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, know, I think that some running apps and things do kind of obscure the area around where you started. But for me, I don't know if it's because of it being a 90s kid and this sort of thing was drummed into us at school, but you're not supposed to put where you are on the internet. <laughs> you're not no. supposed to tell me, especially if it's a regular route that you do. That's not a safe thing to do. <laughs> and, 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 you know, I mean, some apps, you know, blur the start point. But if you know roughly the area, it's just a simple case of, of, of going onto something like Google Maps and just seeing what looks right. Yeah, um, or even just hanging about in that area. If somebody is like obsessed with you, then you've made it yeah. quite easy for them to find you. Absolutely. You know, if, if that map oh, says don't have nightmares. <laughs> absolutely. Um, if 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 that um, if 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 on the like Strava or what have you, it's blatantly obvious that there's a sm- there's a, a a a particularly shaped green patch. Then that mm. particularly shaped green patch is easy to find on Google Maps. And then yeah. the rest, the rest of it just becomes oh, it's this road, then it's this road, then it's this road, and then you, hey, Preston, you, you've got it, bang on. So yeah, no, yeah. I don't. I mean, I don't carry my phone with me when I'm running, and we'll do another space on running. But I yeah. don't carry my phone with me when I'm running, um, partly because I've got really nowhere to put it. Um, but it's just, and I, there's no point because why would I be using my phone when I run? Um, but we'll come on to that. Um, Some would like to know how slow we're running. Uh, I can tell you that. I did a run of about just under five kilometres, so just under three miles on Tuesday around the area that I live in. Bearing in mind, there's a huge hill near where I live in the park, and I did it in just under 29 minutes. So I'm running at roughly... uh, (laughs) I'm running at roughly 10-minute miles. And doing that barefoot as well. I, I I was actually barefoot on that run, yes. (laughs) <laughs> um, because I, I generally run barefoot um yeah, but yeah we well, will have to do a future spaces on running and so uh, yeah. specifically on running barefoot because i'm sure people want to hear about that as well but we are um, actually overrunning on this space now so we should i talk about that a bit um okay so yes um yeah no so, all right to sum up what i'd say is it it's it, you know it's easy to worry about safety while traveling because you know you're putting yourself in an environment in a place you're not familiar with Mm, but particularly if it's your first time traveling, it's absolutely, absolutely. scary. But what I will say is, for example, you can get hit by a car anywhere. You can get robbed mm. anywhere. Most people aren't victims of crime very often at home. So yeah. on the probability, you're likely to be fine in other places that you go. It just be aware. And as I said earlier, it's uh, take the same precautions abroad as you do at home. Yes. Um, don't let your guard down because you're on holiday. Yes, yes, yes. But equally, don't let being on holiday uh, kind of stress you out more and go, oh, because I'm on holiday, I've got to be aware of everything and everybody is out to get me because they're genuinely yeah. not. Yeah, um, I, think, I think around the world in general, most people are all right, aren't they? They are. It's just, you know, like with, um, and I will get all feminist here, um, not all men are rapists, but you don't know which ones they are. mm so it's wise to just keep wary. Yeah. Um, but don't, when you're traveling, 
make your wariness affect your travels? Because if you're going to be scared of every single thing that happens, then you might as well just have stayed at home. Yeah, because you're never going to be able to enjoy a trip if you're jumping at every shadow. Yes, um, absolutely. So, on our next spaces, um, we will be deep diving into the joys and trials of travelling alone, which will probably have some crossover with this one. Um, but we're not quite sure when we're doing our next spaces, I don't think, because you are actually travelling Yes. on the day that we would usually do it in two weeks' time. So yes. this, this time in two weeks, I'm likely to be in a tent on a small island off the coast of Scotland. So yeah, while that I, might make it quite difficult to hear you. So yes, yeah, yes, we, yes. We, will, we will sort something out in a different time and set reminders for people. There's also um, the question of battery, because obviously if I'm on an island off the coast of Scotland, I'd rather use my battery. And even though I will have a, a, a battery pack, I would rather use my battery and make sure that uh, it's for emergency purposes yes it would be a bit silly to talk about what a good idea that is this week and then go off and do that the next week <laughs> i am not a role model remember <laughs> so we will be doing another spaces on solo travel in about two weeks ish maybe three or four weeks we will let you know um yep. but in the meantime um if you want you can follow the barefoot backpackers adventures on their podcast which is travel tales from beyond the brochure and um, that can be found on your favorite podcast delivery service. Or you can look on Barefoot Backpacker's website, which is barefoot-backpacker.com. Um, and there you can also find blog posts on travel, history, culture, asexuality, gender exploration, all sorts of adjacent topics, including some of the ones that we've talked about here this evening. Yes. Is there anywhere else that I've forgotten to say that you can be found? Uh, so. I could probably found, be found in a lot of places, but that doesn't necessarily mean I use them very often. It's like I'm on, <laughs> yes, I'm on the main places you can be found, I think. Yeah, well, basically the main place I live is Twitter. I live on Twitter. Yes, Twitter is RTW Barefoot, um, and they're also RTW Barefoot on Pinterest and Barefoot Hyph, uh, no, underscore Backpacker on Instagram. Why Don't is that? It annoys me every time we do a space. <laughs> Because Instagram didn't let me use a hyphen. <laughs> I mean, Why are you RTW barefoot on that one? <laughs> because I'd rather be, be I'd rather be barefoot backpacker everywhere, but Twitter has a character limit. Oh yeah, um, fair I'm, I'm, I'm barefoot dot backpacker on uh, Facebook for similar reasons. Oh yeah, I forgot that you were even on Facebook. I should probably mention that one more. Often. I generally forget I'm on Facebook as well. But yeah, the 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 most the place where most of your content can be found is barefoot-backpacker.com. Yes. Yeah, it's basically a search for barefoot backpacker. That's the simplest yeah. thing to do. <laughs> um, maybe when we've done a few more of these, I will work out how to end a space. We end a okay. space. We end the space quite easily. We end the space by me clicking the end space button. <laughs> okay, well, thank you all for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the pod, it, uh, pod, the space. It did overrun a little bit. It's become a bit of a podcast there. And I hope that you found some uh, useful tips for ensuring your personal safety when you're traveling. Yes. Thank you for listening. Bye for now. Bye. And remember, don't have nightmares. Do sleep well. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Travel Tales from Beyond the Brochure. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, don't forget to leave a review on your podcast site of choice. Travel Tales from Beyond the Brochure was written, presented, edited and produced in the Glasgow studio by the Barefoot Backpacker. 
Music in this episode was Walking Barefoot on Grass, Bonus by Kai Angel, which is available by the Free Music Archive and used under the Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International License. Previous episodes will be available on your podcast service of choice, or alternatively on my website, barefoot-backpacker.com. If you want to contact me, I live on Twitter at rtwbarefoot, or you can email me at info at barefoot-backpacker.com. The podcast has a Facebook group at travel.tales.beyond.brochure, and I have a Patreon for access to rare extra content. That's patreon.com slash traveltalesbeyondbrochurepod. Until next time, have safe journeys. Bye for now.